Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of MA Architects Make It Innovative, featuring deep dive discussions on the world of innovation as it relates to the built environment. Today, we are back for round two of two for our 2021 predictions and forecasts. You guys, if you didn't listen to last episode, you should really check it out. We had a lot of things to cover. I know there was a lot of topics, but just to give you a flavor of what we talked about, we talked about fidgetal living, we talked about safe spaces and how PTSD is going to affect business this year. We talked about cultural community centers as the future of the workplace. And I think we're actually already starting to see some of these things come to life. I don't know about you, Sam, but I... uh, was just recently at CES virtually, we got to attend, and Verizon is talking about how 5G is going to really revolutionize the classroom and bring it more into allow for virtual tours of museums and how it's going to change cities. So I think that's one example of just how this fidgetal living is coming to play. Interesting. For people who might not have listened to the last episode, clue them in on fidgetal so we can all be on the same page. Well, Fidgetal is really about blending the physical and digital world together. So how uh, technology can amplify our physical world. So just imagine it, you're going to use your phone to have an AR experience where you're going to be on a retailer platform like Wayfair and you want to see that chair in your home. That's a Fidgetal example where you're building technology to uh, amplify your physical world. I love that. So cool to think about. And especially, you know, we all look back on 2020 and think about Catalyst for Change being COVID. You know, a lot of changes that came were things that we were predicting already, but really came at a rapid pace as we quickly learned to evolve and adapt to this world of quarantine and living at home in our little bubbles. And it was so interesting, even games like House Party, where you could play a virtual game, even a card game with people via phone, or Netflix Watch Party, where you could watch movies all together from wherever you were. So it's interesting to see those little early indicators of fidgetal starting to make their way mm-hmm. into our lives. And I'm excited to see what that evolution looks like, especially when people can give dedicated time and resource to actually developing things and not just all of us at once trying to figure out how to work remote, live remote, be remote, exist remote, all the things. So that's I'm awesome. I'm to breathe to experiment. Yeah, that's wonderful. So I think today we're going to have an equally great episode, and we're going to cover a lot of things. We're going to talk about retail. We're going to talk about uh, healthcare, higher education. What else are we going to talk about today, Sam? So for me, I love talking about behavioral psychology and consumer sentiment. So of course, I'm going to talk about things as they relate to those two topics in particular, which is including introducing this idea of the reminiscent bump to you guys. I am Mm. so fascinated with it. I am going to try to contain my energy, but I can't promise anything. And then also something that I have been interested in for a while, but it's really, really picking up speed, emotional plurality. It's a really important concept to understand if you want to understand the people around you, the people you work with, that you live with, that you care about, that you have relationships with in any capacity. So really, really excited to dig into those. Yeah, and I'm going to be covering for the retail uh, side of things. We're going to be talking about the local experience and how that's going to be the lifeline for retail going forward. We're going to talk about rewilding higher education and really how healthcare is going to become more about community care and much more in the neighborhoods that we're looking into. And so I think we should just dive right in, Sam, because like last episode, there's a lot to talk about. And like you, I can't wait to get to it. Let's do it. it. Tell me first about how local experience is retail's lifeline. I'm really interested in that. So when I think about the retail experience and how the local experience is going to be the lifeline for retailers going forward, I think about it in two different ways. One is for the actual local store, and then one is for the big box stores, because I think their strategies are going to be very different in order to feel local. So a lot of what we've seen in terms of like big box stores that's happened to them in 2020 is 
they've had to go to become these dark stores or fulfillment centers where, in essence, the store is not accessible to people. It's not meant for customers to come in. They act as a delivery platform. They're part of the last mile delivery platform. So things come from the warehouse, they come to this one store, and then they get distributed to the local carrier to take to the consumers who bought them online. So I think if you take that whole idea and package it into for local, for big box stores, we're going to think about how their presence is still going to remain online first, digital first. We talked about that in our post-pandemic predictions where people are still going to be digital natives first. And so for big box stores to feel local, what they need to do is think, okay, what is the experience online? And then how does that translate to that last mile delivery platform? I think we are seeing these delivery vans of Amazon going through the neighborhoods the entire time, but you know, could they be broadcasting positive messaging? Could they have more of like a concierge person that comes up that has a, um, a product that could be paired with what you already purchased? You know, so it almost becomes like you get to know your local mailman. You know, if you think about... I was just thinking of that, yes. Think about Cheers, right? Mm-hmm. The bar where everybody knows your name. Why doesn't my Amazon delivery man know my name, you know, and know what my preferences are? Mm-hmm. So he can say, by the way, this sale is coming up on Amazon. You should hit it uh, as soon as it reaches midnight, you know. Get people excited about the online retail experience, but then get them connected through that last mile delivery platform. That's so interesting. So talk to me, though, what you mean about their digital platform and digital presence leading their experience. So what was really interesting to me, one store that I think hit it on the, the nail on the head is Burberry. They have this new social uh, store where basically if you interact with their, their app or their online presence, you actually get social currency and you can get hidden menu items. And so I think that activates their online presence even more so. And it creates excitement. It creates a buzz versus just scrolling through like a website and just seeing the same products over and over again. You want to create more development content that creates that excitement so that when you get that last mile delivery package, you're still excited from the beginning all the way through to the end. I love that. And it's also a very consistent experience, which I think is important. And I think for big box or local brands or any brand, you know, my marketing hat, putting that on now, your website is your digital storefront and your social media is aligned with that. And so you have to have that same experience throughout. And I think that your digital storefront being your website and your social will convince people if you're worthy of the experience of, or not of them actually getting in their cars and driving to your store even. You know, if you're putting something that's really interesting and intriguing and maybe there's an Instagram-worthy wall or there's products that you've never seen before that you want to experience to, to smell or to touch or have that tactile, you know, sensory experience with something, then if you really present it in a strong way digitally first, you know, talking about digital, that digital and physical experience, you have to convince them to create that appetite digitally so then they actually go and feed that hunger to have the experience physically. Agreed, Sam, 100%. But then we also have to think about the local store Mm -hmm. and what that means for them and how they're creating a connection to the community. And I think that's what is going to be really interesting to watch for 2021 is that we've all probably shopped locally a little bit more because it's close to our neighborhood. It's safe for us, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I one of my favorite shopping experiences of 2020 was around Christmas time. I went to that local store in Clintonville <laughs> and was able to gather all of the presents I needed for my friends in one spot. And I think what is interesting about that is it kind of felt like this community center because it has a bunch of different products from different local vendors all brought to me and all curated in a very nice and tailored way. Absolutely. I think there's something too, it's interesting how so many things have kind of shifted 
in 2021 because uh, Mark and I were talking about this offline, but it's interesting that second-tiered cities are actually leading the way in many ways as opposed to these big central city hubs, you know, like the New Yorks and the LAs and the Chicagos of the world that might still be really, really strapped with COVID and have far more restrictions and are much more in a lockdown than we are here in Columbus, Ohio. And so it's interesting to think that Columbus might actually have experienced this idea of like reopening in life post-pandemic in a more accelerated way than New York City has at this point, you know, while they're still in like a very, very severe shutdown. So it's interesting, too, to think that in many ways, local is leading the way to teach big box retailers how to be better Mm -hmm. and how to, you know, become more valuable to their consumers. You know, I think about yesterday, I'm in this tiny tiny, tiny coffee shop I haven't been in in months. And I'm like, I really need to, to make an effort to support them. And they remembered my order as soon as I walked in. You know, they're like, so good to see you. Are you still, do you still get the same drink or whatever? And it was such a touching moment mm-hmm. to me that I now will make more of a concerted effort to actually go consistently to support them. And it is that exactly what you're saying. So interesting to think that building relationships creates brand loyalty. And that can be done from any scale, from that big box scale all the way down to a local business. But how interesting to think that things are kind of shifted and flipped on their heads where big box retailers can learn a lot and are trying to find ways to become more local. I think about Target and they did historically their designer Mm pop-ups where they would have, you know, different designers come in at affordable prices, which is wonderful. I love that accessibility and inclusivity of being able to afford, you know, Lily Pulitzer or Vera Wang or whoever they had. But now it could potentially be more and more local businesses popping up inside of these stores. And, And that's an opportunity for a big box to really support local, but then also become part of that neighborhood or that community's story. And it's also then a way to demonstrate values and identities. We talk a lot about the inauguration. I thought it was so wonderful that so many of them invested in designers that were black-owned designers or really starting off, you know, early to the the fashion scene. So instead of historically investing in haute couture houses, you know, to to design their outfits, they instead chose these off-brand names and gave them – recognition through their platform and what an incredible thing to Mm -hmm. do to use your power for good so it could really help accelerate i think whole foods is an early adapter of this idea where regionally they had local owned businesses you know you could buy within a certain radius so i think that's only something we're going to continue to see more and more of and then to your point it's diversified experience every time you go to a different city or state it's a completely different inventory which kind of also then creates interest and a little bit of that discovery which Mm -hmm. is really really fun from an experiential perspective i think that's the attraction of certain things like thrifting or vintage curated shops that are starting to really pick up speed is that every single time you go it's a different experience and every single time you go there are new things to look at go back yes 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 and it's this idea of just fresh things that are personalized and maybe are one of a kind also. You know, there's so many interesting things to think about. But again, it all comes back to big box really taking some notes from local vendors. Yeah, and you said a couple things that I think are really key for us to hone in on. Guys, what a compliment. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we don't want to lose it, right? Because what you're talking about is an emotional connection. Yes. You know, a lot of the big box stores have realized that they need to sell with their values. And a lot of people are responding really well to that. But I think what is happening is that the local stores can sell with their emotions. Like we can emotionally feel happy, feel joy, feel recognized. We can have our identity recognized by these local stores in a way that big box stores really just can't do that. And I think that's how they're going to become the local experience that's going to save them going forward is we're going to have an emotional connection to those people, to those places, to those stores, to that experience. I love that so much. 
Well, and I think the other part about local that we really just should think about, you know, we talked about the last mile delivery platform mm -hmm. for big box stores. Think about drive up culture for your local store. Think about bike up culture for your local store. I think that's going to be a huge key thing that's going to continue. Um, you know, we're seeing in Paris, they're turning uh, the Champs-Elysees in, into an entire like garden. They're taking roadway and turning it into a garden. You know, I think our roadways are and transportation is prime for change. And I think that is how retailers could also bring their store out into the open air environment and feel safe during this still pandemic period. So I love the idea of this emotional connection, which draws me to my next prediction. Okay, let's have it. You guys, it's emotional plurality. I could not be more excited to talk about this. I'm going to say it one more time. Emotional plurality. Okay? What is that? I'm so glad you asked, Mark. Let me tell you. <laughs> so Brene Brown, obviously, you guys can't go to a podcast without bringing up this incredible researcher and human being has been talking about this for a while. It's this idea that multiple emotions can live at once. And I think that in 2021 and beyond, I would say for at least the next three to five years while the dust settles, there are a lot of experiences that people are having with emotional plurality that to them feels confusing or overwhelming, but it's actually very normal. And I think we talk a lot about mental health and shifting stigma to strength. That includes normalizing these types of things. So, okay, what is it? It is this idea that you can be fearful and brave at the same time. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that we've all experienced, and I'll give you a great example, presenting. Mm. No matter what, whether, you know, you might not do it professionally anymore, but you definitely did it in some point during your education where you had to go up in front of the classroom or you at this point have to go up in front of the boardroom, whoever you are going up in front of, and you are scared shitless. <laughs> and your, your palms are sweating. Maybe you did the paperclip trip. Maybe you're imagining everyone naked. I don't know what you're doing, but you are so scared, but you still step up on that stage anyway, and you still present anyway. So you are scared and brave at the same time. That is emotional plurality. We have never experienced it more than we will experience it this year. And like I said, I'm telling you the next three to five years, it is something that your consumers, your colleagues, your team members will be feeling and you will be feeling. And so let's talk about it. Let's understand it. Let's learn how to work through it. So how can that help us? Like how, what can come, what innovations can come from that? Well, okay. I think so many, because I think it creates more diversity in emotions and the way that you think, and it makes you consider a lot more, even when you're designing a space, right? If you I, consider this idea that not everyone's going to come into the office energized and want a ton of natural light, you know, some people might come in feeling really overwhelmed and they need spaces like respite centers more than ever, or they need these hubs more than ever, because that adjustment period as we move back into being in the office while we've been remote working for so long is going to be a transition period. So mm -hmm. how do we support people during that time? We consider emotional plurality, you know, and it might be that they start their morning off with a ton of energy and they're so excited to be in an open office space. But as the day progresses and maybe they start to feel overwhelmed and they can't just reclude to their bedroom like you could when you're working remote, you know, right? and yeah. take a quick nap or even just like watch TV for 30 minutes during your lunch Comfort. break. Yeah. How, how then do we support them as their day progresses and their stress levels increase as cortisol levels rise? Mm. You know, in that afternoon time, our cortisol levels are highest in our body. That's our stress hormone, everyone, um, as your day progresses. So they drop down at night. They increase as your morning begins. They peak right around noon, and then they start to decrease down. So what do we do at noon? Maybe that means we have these hub spaces where mm -hmm. people could go. Wellness spots. Yes, and work one-on-one, -on -one, especially introverted people. If you're out there and you're listening, you probably feel so burnt out if you are in a room with 15 people for five hours, you know, mm -hmm. and then you're like, I just need to be by myself, heads down, no noise, you know, for an hour. Use some binaural beats. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that 
we're going to be craved for comfort and we are stimulated with sensationalism right now. You know, it doesn't take a genius to know how the news cycle works. Sensationalism sells. So the more provocative and ridiculous you can make the storyline, the more likely you are to get picked up. No one is going to be putting out very mediocre things, you know, they're going to be saying like the worst year ever expected it's emotional to contagion come. We talked oh, about right. Absolutely, absolutely. They're trying to elicit emotion that's going to make you click on that article or stay on that channel. They're not just going to tell you things like you would hear from a press release that are just very factual based. They're really trying to sensationalize it. So that's very, very stimulating. You and I want everyone to think about this. Have you ever been in a good mood, and maybe you had a great workout that morning and sitting down to crack your computer back open and you flip on the news in the background because you're like, I should probably just catch up. And all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, you're pissed. You're feeling kind of scared. You're feeling really, really tense. Everything has shifted. That's emotional plurality. Same that just happened to me like right before we did this podcast. <laughs> I opened up an email. I was so ready for the podcast. And then I opened up an email. I was like, man, now I have to deal with that after exactly. this. Exactly. But you were feeling frustrated, but you still moved forward, Correct. right? Yep. Emotional plurality. So it's that recognition and even more acceptance of this concept of emotional plurality that we have to adopt if we're going to be innovators, if we're going to be supportive individuals that really are there to be progressive. So it's experiencing multiple emotions at once. It's the way of the future for the emotionally intelligent and evolved. So that EQ, the emotional intelligence, this is the evolution. It is this idea that all of these feelings, fear, hope, anger, pity, optimism, all live together and they can be cyclical and that's okay but that's the very nature of emotional plurality it's occupying multiple emotional states simultaneously due to an ever-changing and increasing complicated world so you think about all the variables that we have and maybe there's great news about the vaccine and all of a sudden 30 minutes later you're reading about this new strand of covid that just is emerging from africa you went from feeling so optimistic so hopeful to now so fearful and so confused that's okay it's all going to cycle together everyone needs to remember no feeling lasts forever Nothing lasts forever. And I think that it's really, really important to normalize emotional plurality. So this acceleration has characterized 2020, when feelings have been heightened and diminished based on different inputs like we just talked about. So between news cycles and social media feeds and global social injustice movements and the climate crisis, people have struggled to process their emotions. It's so important that while the inputs may differ, the outputs are going to re result in this reforming traditional institutions. It's going to look different in the workplace. How are you going to support your employees when they're in a peak emotional state versus when they're feeling really grounded and really balanced? Mm -hmm. You know, How are retailers going to support people as they experience their stores when some things might trigger them? Mm -hmm. Especially as we move back, it could even be being close to people in a confined space is triggering. Even once the glorious day comes where we're not wearing masks everywhere we go, how are you going to make people feel supported, right? Yep. How are you going to make people feel connected? How are you going to make people feel hopeful if they just watched the news and they're feeling like that's the furthest thing from what they can experience? Well, what I love about this is that I think I love the idea of including this as part of our diversity spectrum when we think about designing for people as a whole. I also think that this is really going to set up uh, experiential design or XD mm -hmm. designers out there who are listening to really think about sensory design and messaging and putting those Absolutely. two things together to make sure that they allow for both emotions to occur and allow for different emotions to develop while people are experiencing that activation. Absolutely. You know, I, I might have shared this with you before. Personally, on the podcast, I'm not sure. But it's really interesting to me if you consider life as, like an EKG. 
And if your life is just one flat line, you're dead. <laughs> and the idea of those spikes, you know, that means you're living. You know, to have those ups and those downs and those highs and those lows, you, of course, want to kind of control them. You don't want these incredible spikes and these incredible lows. But if you can find a way to manage that, and part of emotional plurality is taking accountability. Cut the bullshit. What is triggering you? How can you can control that? You know, what are those things that you can do? Maybe that's limiting social media time. I know it is for me, you know? I know that if I'm on social and just scrolling through my phone endlessly. Doom I, scrolling? Yeah, I get off and I'm like, wait, I don't even, that was so much I just tried to digest. By the way, I just heard something the other day. Tell me. There's now glee scrolling. Glee? Uh-huh. Oh, tell me in. Because, you know, doom scrolling was like we were seeing all like the bad news yeah, yeah. and things like that. But now that things are starting to circle back around and become positive, people are looking for those happy things. So that's what they're scrolling for now. I love that. And it's important even who are you following? Right. You know, what Facebook pages are you liking and following? What social, what Instagram pages are you Diversify liking? Diversify your portfolio a little Absolutely, bit. Absolutely. Because, you know, they build an algorithm based on what you're searching for. So the more you're searching for doomsday articles, the more they're going to continue to populate on your feed doomsday articles. So if you start to put in, you know, good news, upworthy Tanks good news, amazing accounts to follow. You know, it's just positive news stories. So it's things to consider too, but those are things within your control. I know right now feels like we are in this emotional spiral where it is ping pong central. You know, we're back and forth and up and down and we're all over the place. You still have a lot of control. You have a lot of control, again, of those inputs. And while the outputs are going to result in some really pivotal changes, it's going to make us better in the end. Because then no matter how you're feeling that day, however you're going to show up, there's something there to support you. And I think it's crazy when people say, give me 100%. First <laughs> off, I don't even get me started about 110%. <laughs> I mean, mathematically, let's get real. But anyway, if you really gave me 100% today, that is an incredible, incredible feat. If you gave me 85%, I'd be over the moon pleased with you. But if you only have 30% today, give me 100% of that 30%. Yep. And I think you've got to rationalize and be really realistic with yourself as far as what you have to give when it comes to emotional plurality. I'm going to stop before I can't. <laughs> I'm going to turn it back over to Mark because he has something so cool to talk about uh, and just what's happening in healthcare and higher ed. Yeah, I think it would be, uh, well, first of all, Sam, that was only the first half of our episode. So thank you if you're still listening <laughs> because we still have a lot more to come. But I think, you know, like you said, we would be remiss if we didn't really think about what's happening in healthcare and higher education and what 2021 can bring them. Those are two really hefty topics, and I know our healthcare team has been working rapid fire with so many of the local healthcare systems to quickly revamp areas to help with ventilation and convert areas, should we need to, to allow for more ICU beds. And we had Rebecca Matheny of Ohio State University on, of the Ohio there State University, I'm sorry guys, I'm showing my Northeast, uh, for one of our podcasts last year to talk about what's going on in higher ed, and both of those conversations and projects really speak to change. Agreed. And I know we've said it before, but we really want to say it again. We want to thank our frontline service and essential service industry workers, our doctors, our nurses, delivery and mail persons, our grocery store and restaurant workers, those working to care for our elderly, the maintenance and safety personnel, our teachers, and even our police who provide us our protection. We salute you and give you thanks and our heartfelt thanks because we're here because of you. And I think we will see changes in many of our industries and specifically for the healthcare industry because of what they've had to go through and what they've done for us to be able to still be here today. For healthcare, I think the forecasts that I'm seeing for uh, that industry are really around equitable, mobile community care. In short, more mobility in the community and a greater focus on self-care for the workers for themselves. 
we're already seeing healthcare systems moving into the community with freestanding emergency departments that we've worked on with Ohio Health. And this allows for distribution and for people to feel more safe in going to a local provider versus having to go to like the big hospital. Bringing this type of community care will only grow and become more equitable and reachable as many of the healthcare systems have gone virtual, you know, or digital first platforms. I think we'll see in-home technology eventually that's going to allow us to mimic a doctor's visit. But in the short run, we've got healthcare silos that I think will start to pop up where, you know, maybe you have the virtual platform, but maybe you have the opportunity to go to your, um, I'm going to say maybe your food truck of the healthcare system. You know, I think that kind of delivery care can become much more um, affordable and reachable to our more rural communities who may not be able to get out of their jobs, but maybe healthcare can come to them. And I think we saw this and the idea came because we've seen mobile doctors, doctors who are taking over vans who are actually going to uh, patients' homes because they either couldn't come to their doctor's office or they didn't feel safe coming to the doctor's office. We saw uh, in China announced that they were going to create a thousand bed hospital in 10 days. 10 days, that's insane. You know, and I think what can help some of this in the short run for 2021 is modular construction. It can allow for these pop-up infrastructures to be built in a very affordable way. Mark sees me creeping towards the mic. What What is is modular modular? construction? (laughs) So think about it prefabrication, meaning that uh, when you order a building, in essence, you're ordering the walls already built, you're ordering the doors already made, you're ordering the flooring already a Hmm. part of it. So it comes in like a package that in essence, they can just build up. It's like creating an erector set, if you will, is the simplest way that I can put it. And it just comes, it it takes the time out of having to get all the different trades involved. It takes the time out of having to wait for uh, things to be on order. Everything comes and arrived and delivered, and then it just gets hooked up. But beyond the built environment, I think our healthcare spaces are going to see a need for a lot more mental wellness too. You know, we've talked about PTSD already, and I think that's going to be a huge fallout for 2020 with our healthcare workers. Most hospitals have spaces for their families and patients to go to, to take a moment. But I think the caregivers themselves get left off of that list often because the need for space is so high in healthcare systems. Starbucks is now offering 20 free therapy sessions to its employees. How powerful of an example is that? Think about what would happen if uh, if healthcare systems allowed for things like that for their employees or even spaces that allowed them to build respite and resiliency into their day. It's so interesting. You know, first responders, those that have spent a career as a first responder typically die within the first five years of retirement because their bodies just crash from the lack of adrenaline and cortisol. So when you're in these moments of sheer pressure, your body pumps out these two hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, so that it activates that fight or flight. And when you are a first responder, you really are living in that constant place of stress because Mm -hmm. you're at all times responding to the craziest, most stressful situations, and your body is just pumping, 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 pumping. So there was a study done that most first responders, it was a crazy, astounding amount, it was over 50%, die within five years of retirement because their bodies finally decelerate and completely crash. And it shows up and manifests in the body in different ways. It's heart attacks. It's, you know, all these crazy things. But I feel like a lot of healthcare workers this year have migrated into the position of a first responder. It's not just Mm -hmm. emergency department workers anymore it's everybody because they've been living on this constant you know work 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 handle it handle it handle it and the stress has been higher than ever so i love this idea that you're saying meet them with respite Mm -hmm. because you have to fulfill them yes exactly i mean we've talked about respite a lot in terms of the workplace and i mean for nurses and doctors the hospital is their workplace and so we need to make sure that they are taking care of themselves so they can take care of us too what i think is really interesting is that um 
we talk about emotional plurality, you know, so there's fear, there's hope, there's anxiety, there's stress. That's probably everything that they're feeling on a very minute to minute basis. And so I think we could also think about not only respite and resiliency, but building spaces that provide hope, not only for the patients, but for the doctors too, because psychology actually shows that hope and recovery are linked to each other. So if we create hope, we can start to create not only resiliency for being able to bounce back when you're focusing on a huge trauma, but also then recovery for yourself as well. So Mark, I love the whole topic of healthcare. Can we pivot now to higher education? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, so this will be my last forecast for 2021 and beyond, but I I really think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch because higher education has gone through a lot. I mean, think about it. Most of our students are still probably doing online. Um, I was just talking with one of our coworkers who said that a major university is still planning for full online in the fall of 2021. Wow. You know, and I think they're just doing that out of safety because we don't know what's going to be happening with the yeah. vaccine. So I think what we need to think about for 2021 is how we are rewilding higher education. That's my forecast, rewilding higher education. What does that mean? So in short, it means we're bringing it back to the basics, just like everything else that happened in 2020. We'll see a shift more toward um, online community platforms, maybe more neighborhood-based education centers, more options for 24-7 choose-your-own-adventure platform learning, and even apprenticeship-style offerings of learning. You know, So if you think about it, back in the medieval times, apprenticeships were how people learned their skills and their trades. And I think we can see that happening hmm. even more in 2021. I don't know about the other industries, but I know in the um, architectural and construction industry, we've had a shortage of skilled laborers. We've uh, like electricians, mill workers, mm-hmm. uh, plumbers, because the demand for building is so high, but people are retiring. I heard a statistic that said for every three people, three tradespersons that are retiring, there's only one person to take their place. Nuh-uh. So I really think there's an opportunity for us to think about our higher education facilities incorporating these trade programs into their schools and our, you know, to allow students to learn their basic skill sets and then go out into the environment to have a job. That's so interesting, too, especially, obviously, as home improvement projects rise. Right. It, finding a plumber is, like, near impossible. And then yep. there's XXX surcharged right now because they can so that's interesting too to think that it's there are so many markets that feel so saturated right now as far as professionals but that is such a a desaturated market that could really use more more professionals and more trade schools well and i think our higher education uh, facilities are set up to allow for this because one of the things that they've been working on are those third spaces those spaces that are outside of the Mm -hmm. classroom and a maker space is a prime example of that where Right now, they're used for people or for students to go and have hands-on design learning where they can try and fail because trying and failing is actually much more practical for certain applications, maybe even like electricians where they can come in and they can learn how to uh, perform the basic needs that they need to um, put conduit together to install a receptacle. Interesting. So I think that our makerspaces would allow for that hands-on learning, not only for those tradespersons, but also for our other students as well, too. Um, You know, and so I think what I'm trying to say is like going back to the basics for in-person learning could be more of those hands-on learning apprenticeship styles. But we still have digital concerns that Mm -hmm. we have to think about when we want to go back to the. So we've talked about the physical spaces still needing to be occurring, uh, but we also have to think about like online learning. You know, many studies show that for some students it can work, but they have to put the work into it. And a lot of the students are disappointed because they come to these universities for an experience. And most of the experience in 2020 for them was lost. So I think what's interesting if we go back to the online learning is a need for higher education. 
and we need experiences, gamification is prime for students to be able to have an online learning experience that's fun, that's activated for them. What's gamification? So it's basically where you're taking a game and using it as a learning tool. Or gamification is where you basically make a game out of anything. Hmm. So what was really interesting to me is that Minecraft came out with a game that is used for education purposes. And they were very specific about it. They said, this is not a tool. This is not an education tool that became a game. It's a, it started as a game first because they want students to still have fun. You know, if we think about our not only higher education, but our younger students, they're much more digital natives. Like they're very used to online platforms. And so for them, this idea of like game learning could be a really fun way for them to experience things. I was actually having a conversation with um, our principal down in Cincinnati, Seth Oakley, and we were talking about uh, the future of esports, yeah. um, which is another part of like an online gamification. Okay. Where I was saying, what happens when you have a virtual football team that is mirrored by your physical for football team? And how you now have two different football games that you can watch and attend. One's IRL and one is virtual. They may come out completely different depending on the algorithms that happen. Huh. But that could be a gamification experience that online universities could allow for uh, students to have. Interesting. It's almost like children's toys that are like educational in essence. Exactly. But we still need to be careful. You know, we need to be, make sure that what we're providing online and in the real world works for students. You know, we've talked about neurodiversity in terms of the workplace. We also need to consider neurodiversity on the online presence too. Because what we learned from the white paper that we put out is that different classrooms should be used for different subjects. And so I think we need to think about that in terms of online versus in-person should also be considered for different subjects, depending on what that subject matter is. So for example, if it's a very complex thing that they're learning, like the design thinking, that probably wants to be in-person versus online. If it's a much more you know rudimentary class that we all have to take, like geology, we could probably do that online versus it being an in-person classroom. And so again, we just need to go back to the basics of what learning is and how we can achieve it. So with that, Sam, I'm gonna turn it back over to you because I've talked enough for those uh, last two little trends for healthcare and higher education, and we're gonna talk about your favorite subject. You guys better buckle up because if you thought she was excited about emotional plurality, we're about to dive into something even better. You guys, this is currently blowing my mind. I would only share with you things that feel like such an aha moment to me. This is it. Are you ready? I want you guys to consider this concept called the reminiscent bump, okay? So it is scientifically proven and psychologically studied that people vividly remember experiences between the ages of 15 and 25. So I want you to consider anything that you've been thinking of right now as just yesterday I sent vitamin C graduation, the YouTube video to a bunch (laughs) of my girlfriends from high school. And I found great comfort in that as I remembered back to us being 18 and being like, you know, as we go on, we remember. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like so dramatic. But anyway, it was a bonding moment for us, okay? This idea is that you better remember things that you experienced between the ages of 15 and 25 called the reminiscent bump, okay? Why? It is your first time experiencing so many things. So it's probably your first time having a crush, being in love, having a heartbreak, your first job, your first experience being away from home, your first time doing a lot of things. So I think you get the idea, but first experiences create a deeper imprint on your brain. So the first time you experience anything, it really, really creates a deeper memory, a deeper imprint 
on your brain, scientifically proven, psychologically studied. Interesting to think that the more and more you experience a crush or a heartbreak, the more and more desensitized you become to that. Very similarly, let's translate that to work. The more and more you experience a job interview. Your first job interview, you were probably a nervous wreck. By your 10th job interview, you probably have a pretty good hang of things. You also have expectations. You also have an idea of what's to come, right? So that's a huge part of it. It is so important to have first experiences. And again, that 15 to 25 is that sweet spot, that reminiscent bump. But as you move beyond that, you start to have to work a lot harder to have first experiences that will create more substantial imprints on your brain. You think about it, a lot of people are going to tell you, you know, you're never going to remember anything the way that you do your wedding day or the first day your child is born. Those are huge, huge first experiences. But it's very hard as you move on in life to have a first experience that's really going to last and create such an impact on your brain in the same way. So let's talk about that as it relates to this idea of nostalgia narcotic. We talked about this on a previous podcast. This idea that nostalgia is really comforting, and a lot of us are gravitating towards it right now. Dr. Ken Yeager, the lead neuroscience researcher at Ohio State, said one of the best ways to move through times of uncertainty and depression is nostalgia. So a lot of people, you might have noticed in your own self, are watching reruns of their favorite sitcoms. You're re-watching your favorite movie. You're listening to your favorite band from when you were... I'm guilty of all of 20 that. to 25. Yeah. I mean, whether you're jamming out to the Rolling Stones or you cannot get enough of Friends reruns, whatever it is, it brings you comfort, right? That's that nostalgia part. When does nostalgia become a narcotic? It's when you are living so much in the past and treasuring those moments with such rose-colored glasses, forgetting anything... You know, our brains are such resilient, resilient organs, and the way that they function is for survival. So we create these schemas, these stories that our brain absorbs, and our brain is very good at remembering the good and very, very talented at forgetting the bad. So, you know, you can think about that with relationships or experiences or trips. You know, when you went on a trip and you were like, oh, it was the best trip ever, you know, you month later as you're telling your friends about your trip, your vacation – it was the best ever. But at the time, you might have missed a train or you might have had a horrible experience dining out. But you forget those things and you only hold on to that insane view that you saw or that amazing restaurant that you guys ate at or whatever it was, right? It's a, a, a really beautiful thing that our brains do. But nostalgia can become a narcotic when you are only idealizing those memories of the past. And I think something that's really important to consider is that if you are living too much in the past – that's depression. If you're living too much in the future, that's anxiety. So mental health requires mindfulness. It requires you to be here now, to be present, to find your breath. It's always in the present. And if you are living and noticing yourself thinking too much, reminiscing, that you really need to take that as an early sign that you're letting your, your thoughts trend towards depression. And if you're living way too much in the future where you're becoming so tightly wound about what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next, you're really letting yourself gravitate towards anxiety. So you have to work to get yourself to be mindful. What is happening to me in this moment? What is going on in my life right now? So as we talk about this reminiscent bump, like anything, everything in moderation, mm-hmm. right? I was just gonna, it sounds like a very fine line to walk. Absolutely. So it is so important right now. We're all homebound and we're all probably thinking about things that we haven't even thought of in years. You know, even sharing stories with whoever we are with in our little quarantine bubbles of like days past, but nobody wants to be the high school quarterback that at age 55 is bald sitting at the bar. We've all seen that movie. Oh, talking about, we've seen that movie. We (laughs) we know that person. True. (laughs) 
<laughs> no one wants to be sitting at the bar, you know, talking about that the past when we won against New Bremen or whatever, you know, like, come on, you know, we, we want to live for now. It's wonderful to honor the memories of the past and have that reminiscent bump in a really healthy way, but not lend to nostalgia and narcotic. How can we do it in a healthy way? We can do it in a healthy way by finding those things that connect us to people in the present. So right now we're feeling so disconnected. We're feeling so isolated. And I think it's really important and I would be remiss. Mental health matters so much to me. And I don't know if you guys have read yet. And I do want to just say that there is a trigger warning Um, it is going to be some conversation about suicide. And so I really, if this is too hard for you to listen to, please skip ahead. Um, Or maybe this is the time that you pop off the podcast. But it's really important to me to share this with you guys. Clark County in Nevada is having a really, really awful experience as a result of the pandemic. And it actually has nothing to do with COVID as a virus. It has everything to do with suicide. So they've had 18 suicides in one school alone since the advent of the pandemic, the youngest being a nine-year-old child taking their own life. And that really humbles me, but it's really important that it's not a conversation we are having, but it's change that we're making. Mm -hmm. This We cannot wait. We cannot wait to be any more reactive. We have to be proactive because this is happening right now. Our isolation is really, really driving a lot of mental health disorders. Depression and anxiety are spiking. Suicide rates in Japan are up five times the average amount. It's not okay, and we need to be there for each other, and we need to be accountable for when we start to feel ourselves really start to become nostalgic in this narcotic way. Instead, what we need to do is say, okay, this reminiscent bump is a really cool idea, and the idea that first experiences create a deeper imprint in our brain is really important to consider. How can you, where you are right now, in the environment that you live as it stands today, create a new experience for yourself? It could be as simple as eating at a new restaurant. Baking bread. Absolutely. And that's why baking bread was such a big thing. Those artisanal crafts, it all makes sense now. Absolutely. Exactly. And it's trying something new. So can you order out from a new restaurant? Maybe, you know, you always order from the same restaurant. You love this place. Try a completely different ethnicity. You know, it's a cool experience to get to honor a different culture through food. You know, that's one example. Travel is so hard. I understand that right now. Can you read a different type of book? You know, can you watch a different type of show? How can you create a new experience for yourself? Can you start to plan for what trip you're going to take to a place you've never explored before once the pandemic starts to slow down? Could you also share your first experience with somebody else so that you have some social connection with another? Absolutely. And you can use that reminiscent bump as a way to connect with people. You know, maybe you have a friend that loves watching friends and it doesn't (laughs) have to be friends. That obviously is it for me, but you can talk about that and then maybe they can inspire you and say, oh my gosh, if you loved friends, you are going to absolutely love Bridgerton. I wouldn't actually draw that connection, but you guys, come on, I'm trying to make it smart. I was where is she going with this? (laughs) But it's really, really important. And it's really important to honor your past, but live for your present and really be hopeful for your future. I think that's where mindfulness and mental health, I think that it's really important that if you are not, if you cannot tell me right now what one thing is that you are doing for your mental health, you you stop listening, go figure it out. I don't care what it is, but you have to be doing one thing at minimum to support your central nervous system. You think about you work out every day for your physical body or you're trying to eat better for, you know, your your nutrition. What are you doing for your mental health? Are you doing yoga? Are you doing some sort of mindful meditation? Are you doing things like massage? Are you doing things like acupuncture? Are you doing things like journaling? You know, music is a huge, huge, huge thing for a lot of people for their mental health. What are you doing to support your mental health? So 
what this means for the world of design, what this means for business owners, what this means for innovators, is that we have to be cognizant of this idea of the reminiscent bump and how that can create connections with people. A lot of brands do throwbacks. History walls. Yes, absolutely. And that's wonderful. You know, you see, you go to Target right now, you could buy a friend's shirt. And it's so funny, you know, and these kids are like, oh my God, have you ever heard of this movie, Clueless? You know, <laughs> and it's fun. That's fun. That's when nostalgia and reminiscence is a connector. But when you start to live in the past, that's when it's a really, really early warning sign that you need to be conscious of. So for companies as well, I think it's really important to consider giving employees experiences. And employee engagement right now is a really, really hard thing to do because we're all apart from each other. So how can we be apart in space but connected in experience? And that could be something as simple as a lot of companies I love are doing cooking classes for their employees. You know, again, trying something new, creating a deeper imprint on our brains. And so really grasping that global mindset and this idea that nostalgia is an anchor to which people can grasp and feel grounded in the present, even if they're thinking in the past, using it in a healthy way, but remembering that reminiscent bump. It's so important. Ages 15 to 25, your brain imprints your memories deeper than it will any time beyond that. Well, it explains a lot of why I keep picturing walking across Virginia Tech's campus with a smoothie in my hand, <laughs> listening to my iPod. And you're like, those were the glory days. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's also why so many movies are being remade and so many sitcoms are getting rebooted and why there is a following for that. And while some of that is great, it's also really important to challenge yourself to try new things. You know, you are the conversations you have, the books you read, the experiences you have, the trips you take, you are all of those things. And so if you just keep repeating yourself in this hamster wheel cycle of, you know, digesting the same content, you're really not expanding your mind and your experiences, which right now we have to hold ourselves accountable and challenge ourselves to try new things. Well, it makes me also think about uh, the workplace forecast that we talked about on our last episode where we talked about having those cultural community centers for your office. You know, we need space because we need people to come in and we need them to interact with each other. Absolutely. I think my big takeaway from what you talked about, many things, but one of the biggest ones was just about making sure that we can still have conversation with each other and how we can share and connect with each other so we're not in social isolation. Absolutely. And it's so hard right now because not a lot of new things are happening. So we keep falling into this reminiscent bump where we're thinking about nostalgia as a narcotic and thinking about, oh, it was just so much better 10 years ago. My life was so much better 10 years ago. And it's interesting. I mean, even statistically, Nintendo sales soared Mm -hmm. 152% for Nintendo consoles and retro game titles last year. 152%. That's crazy. I know. Here we're thinking like the Clorox guys on a champagne binge on his like private jet. Nintendo, I'll tell you what. But it's because people, it's like comfort viewing. You know, they are returning to decades old of binging and playing these games that bring them comfort of times that felt less challenging. But we have to remember that there was also a lot of realism there. If you think back, you know, you think back to being 16 and it was just so easy, you know, but you were also heartbroken, you uh-huh. know, that reminiscent bump. It was your first time ever experiencing a heartbreak and you thought for sure you were going to marry Alex and how are you going to move on? You know, you're never going to feel this way about anyone else. Like all these ridiculous things. So we have to be realistic. Every point in our lives has come with a challenge and those challenges have changed us. And we just, in this time of stagnation, we have to find ways to stay stimulated and stay encouraged and stay hopeful. Well, and one thing that I want to share is that, you know, Sam listed a great many of opportunities to go and try something new. 
something you could try is just different breathing exercises. Like if you yes. don't feel like you can go to a store, like I was trying to think of like ways that you could give people other opportunities. It could just be about taking 30 seconds in the morning, taking, you know, a five second breath in, holding it for five and letting that five out. Like that just resets your entire body. Oh, absolutely. I mean, YouTube meditation, 10 minute meditation. If you're like, I don't even know. I keep hearing about this shit. How do Listen I even to start? it on your drive to absolutely. wherever you need to go podcast when you're outside walking around? Absolutely. Listen to a new podcast, try a new meditation, learn language. If you've always threatened to learn Italian, tutu bene. Now is the time, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> do it, whatever it takes, you know, but it could be, it doesn't have to be this grand gesture. It's those little small things that will start to snowball and really start to shift your mental health, make you feel more present, remembering if you're thinking too much about the past, that is depression. Thinking too much about the future, that is anxiety. The reminiscent bump is as powerful as it is because your brain is imprinting first experiences deeper than it would as you experience things for a second and third and fourth and fifth time. Try something new. Brands that are successful will find new ways to excite and engage people through experiences. And it's really, really important to think about how important that is for our mental health. Also, please be talking about your mental health with others, others' mental health, be a safe space for them to talk with you. It is so important that no one feels like they're doing this alone. This is a challenging time, but together it is more important than ever to remember that we're not alone and that together we are stronger. And it is so important to let people know that they are safe and supported. Well, I think one thing that we should say is also that while we are ending on a challenge note for our forecast for 2021, we also hopefully provided you some hope for this year to come because I think that there's a lot of opportunity. So I would like to just say thank you for joining us on this wild adventure as we've gone through all of our forecasts where we talked about digital living to the local retail experience to now this reminiscence bump. So we hope you feel inspired and energized for the year ahead. Thank you for listening to our show. These are the innovations that can help you guys find inspiration in your lives to be thinking ahead to create change. We hope to hear more about these innovations in the days, weeks, and months to come. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at www.ma-architects.com, where we have a feature called The Future is Now up on our website. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to reach out to me directly at markb at ma-architects.com. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast, go like it, give us a review, let us know what you want to hear about so we can include it in the next coming podcast episodes yes please and you guys we have the most incredible guests i thought we had the most incredible guests last year and they are an all-star team but they really really challenged us to bring it this year so i cannot wait to introduce our guests and our topics to you as the year progresses and like mark said if there's anything you ever want to hear about we are an open book you can reach out to us on social or via email and we would love to hear about what interests you the most or what conversations you would like to have in more depth we are here for you as a resource in any capacity we can to add value to your life as you continue to turn obstacles into opportunities. Well, that's our show again. Once again, I'm one of your hosts for Make It Innovative, Mark Bryan. I'm the Director of Innovation and Research at MA Architects. And I'm Sam Muller, Director of Communications and huge enthusiast of behavioral psychology and consumer sentiment. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day and make it innovative. Thank you.